And thank you again, Kimberly and the worship team, uh, for uh, leading us this morning uh, in music and in worship and praise. It is a privilege to gather together uh, in person by live stream. It is a privilege that I hope we never take for granted. There uh, are people in other countries and other places that are not able to do this. And so we are grateful that we can. Amen. Uh, how precisely does God abide in us? And when I say us, I mean uh, individually, but especially as a church. How does God abide in us, remain in us, dwell in us? Two Sundays ago, a bunch of children huddled around a raspberry bush, and we talked about the necessity of the branches remaining attached or abiding to the vine in order to live and grow and flourish. The branches were benefiting from the nourishment provided from and in the vine. And uh, even some of the children recognized the concept of, of photosynthesis, the three primary elements of photosynthesis. Uh, Jesus describes that. He uses that. Now, he was using most likely grapevines, not raspberries, but raspberries are local to us. But he was using that to describe the necessity for us as individuals, but also as the church to remain and abide in him, and that he also said he would abide or dwell in us. And we as a individuals, but especially as a church, desire to live and to grow and to flourish. But precisely how does God dwell in us? A little later this morning, I will pause and open up to question and response, and that's an opportunity for you, those of you that are here and also on our live stream, if you want to uh, interact and submit a question, something comes to mind and you want to ask a question, you can email or text to ask at westviewchurch.ca, or you can stand where you are and we'll bring a microphone to you, and we'll have an opportunity to interact with you in an effort to... Uh, advance this posture of humility and dialogue together. So turn in your Bibles with me to uh, John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the festival... The great day, and I want to just pause there for a second because we're kind of jumping in here and this festival. This festival is, uh, the festival that they're referring to is what is called the Feast of Tabernacle uh, or the Feast of Booths. And on the last day, and by the way, interestingly, it took place uh, in the Jewish calendar in the middle of and late September. And on this last day, they had a water libation service where they would take water and pour it over the altar in a symbolic manner. And it's in this context that we read these verses. Verse 37, on the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, 
he cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. And what Jesus is doing is he is connecting to the water libation ceremony that is going on, and he is using that and extending a metaphor to talk about uh, an internal reality, our internal lives, our spiritual lives. And he is describing this uh, sense that there are those who are experiencing the, an inner life, a, a spiritual life, when he uses the word thirsty, where they are, are desperate, they are they're feeling an emptiness. And he says, if you are thirsty in this inner being, in your inner being, dipsao, thirsty, he says, come to me and drink. Take in and consume and be nourished and replenished in your inner life, in your spiritual life. That's the intake, if you will. But there is also an outward aspect to what Jesus is talking about. And he says, as Scripture teaches. And in there, he's referring to several of the prophets, the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Ezekiel, who had these visions of wells springing up. And Ezekiel had this vision of water flowing and gushing from the temple outward. Jesus memorized Scripture. He knew Scripture well. And what he is doing is when he says that, he is linking with Scripture because he is pointing out that there is a continuity. There is a vision that God has, a telos, a purpose and a plan from the outset for human beings, for people, and also particularly the church. And it's therein when he doubles down on this extending and expanding metaphor, and he says there will be this living water And Jesus is essentially, in these few verses, standing there on this day, he is talking about the ins and outs of spiritual life. And he is recognizing that the people that have gathered there, all the people on this special festival of booths and on this final great day, he recognizes that there is a, a desperation that people have spiritually. That there's things going on in their internal lives and they're dissatisfied and they have a hunger and he calls it a thirst. And he also recognizes that the, the church, the synagogue, is essentially not of great effect. It is not providing an offering of any intrinsic value to the people. They have been going to the synagogue out of ritual because it is a cultural and traditional thing to do. But it has not been life-giving for the people. thirsty. And today we, we are thirsty as well, spiritually, in our inner beings. And when I say we, uh, what I mean is uh, individually, but as a church. People long for a meaningful connection and relationship with our Creator, with the Lord. But it seems like it can elude us but we are desperate for it, desiring it. And as a church, we want our church to be a place where the presence is, 
known and experienced and felt, and that it moves, that the Holy Spirit moves from here and into our ranch lands and, and beyond, and yet there, there's this thirst that we have, and yet it seems dry. Perhaps depleted. This dry desert, if you will, has been expanding for decades. Young adults and youth have been disenfranchised for a number of years. And I'm speaking about youth and young adults that have grown up going to church, let alone those that haven't. In 2011, a Canadian uh, a study was done, the title of which was called Hemorrhaging Faith, and they investigated from uh, uh, people in Canada, youth and young adults in Canada, and they explored this. In 2018, another, one was, uh, another Canadian study was done, and it was called Renegotiating Faith, because uh, youth and young adults, whether they grew up in a Christian or church home or outside, have a longing, but they are feeling disenfranchised and disconnected. Adults as well, disillusioned. And now we have this term quiet quitting in business, but there's a quiet quitting that is going on with the church as well. As people are, they, did, they started not attending a couple of years ago, and now they've just quietly just disengaged entirely. Some of you know my fondness for uh, statistics. It's partially because there, when we speak in spiritual matters, sometimes we leave it, it there's a sense that it's entirely ethereal or, or conceptual, and I, I, I want to let you know that it's, it's entirely the spiritual and, and the material or the conceptual and the, and the specifics are all connected. Stats Canada did a, a survey, was released just about a year ago, October 28th, 2021. Insights on Canadian society. And the title of the, the study was Religiosity in Canada and its Evolution from 1985 to 2019. From 1985 to 2019. So this information data is prior to COVID. Religious affiliation, religious activities, and importance given to religious beliefs have each been in decline for decades. I put up one graph, not really that you can entirely read it, but you get the concept. In 1985, 90% of people aged 15 and older reported having a religious affiliation, 90%. In 2019, that was 68%. Meanwhile, the proportion of people who attended group religious activities at least once a month, in 1985 it was 43%, in 2019 it was 23%. COVID has not caused the desert, spiritual desert that we are in. Perhaps it has exacerbated the circumstance, but what COVID has done is essentially revealed the desert, the spiritual dryness wherein we find ourselves. People are desiring to have a relationship with the Creator, 
to have a spiritual, vital relationship with the Holy Spirit. But they are not finding it in the church or in the faith and through Christianity. And what Jesus was saying 2,000 years ago. And the question posed is, what is this living water that he is talking about? What is this living water that provides nourishment and replenishes the church and families and lives and communities? Verse 39, John 7. John the writer says, Now he said this about the Spirit, which believers in him were to receive. For as yet there was no Spirit, because Jesus' head was not yet glorified. The living water is the Holy Spirit. The living water is the Holy Spirit, sometimes in Scripture referred to as the Spirit of Christ, sometimes referred to as the Spirit of God, sometimes referred to as the Spirit or the Holy Spirit. And what the writer is saying here, John is saying here, is that for those who believe and accept and follow Jesus Christ as Lord, you receive the Holy Spirit. And this is an explanatory note that John has added here because at the time when Jesus was describing this in the festival and he was saying this living water, they didn't understand, they didn't have a conception, full conception of the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit was. They didn't have an understanding or an education. But later on in Jesus' ministry, a short time later, he would begin to unpack the importance in who the Holy Spirit was in John 14 and again in John 16. And he began to describe the Holy Spirit. And so John, the writer, is able to attach this uh, explanatory note, this parenthetical note here to say this is what Jesus was talking about, the Holy Spirit. Oh, I need to tell you something else about the festival. The festival of booths. It was a time when the Jewish people, so this is what Jesus was teaching. It was a time when the Jewish people, this festival, was when they would set up little booths, little tents. They would build every time at this festival. They would build these little tents, and they would stay in these tents during this festival as a reminder of when they were wandering in the desert. So it was at the Festival of booths, when they were sitting and being reminded of the fact that they had been wandering in the desert. And now Jesus is connecting the very real water and food provision that he gave them when they were wandering in the desert. And now he is connecting that water that he provided for them. And in that desert time, and he's connecting that with the Holy Spirit. And he is saying, what I did for you there physically, I am promising and committing to do for you now spiritually in your inner life. Wow. I need a drink of water. 
You can go weeks without food. You can only go days without water. I'm going to leave the cap off, see if I don't trip on it. Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He himself was anointed by the Holy Spirit. There are times when we emphasize Jesus' divinity, but we can also do that at the expense of acknowledging his humanity. Jesus was both God and man. And at his baptism, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And when he got up to speak in the synagogue, as the writer in Luke records in Luke 4, 18, Jesus said, the Spirit is upon me. Jesus was anointed by this Holy Spirit. And so in turn, now when he is speaking in John to the people that are gathered there, he understands the anointing and the efficacy of the Holy Spirit. And he turns to them and he says, Now I give this to you. I teach you about this. This is, you are going to do what I have been doing here. You will receive and be anointed by the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit abides. He remains in us. God the Holy Spirit in people, but especially the church. The writer Titus says, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit guarantees what human beings cannot, and that is eternal life. As Paul writes in the first chapter of Ephesians, he guarantees it by putting a stamp on our very inner beings. Paul to the Corinthians says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God dwells in you? Revelation 3, 20, that picture, that image of God knocking on the door, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And so often we misinterpret that as being knocking on someone's personal heart or knocking on somebody's door to accept Jesus as their personal Savior. But that's not the context at all. Jesus is standing outside the church, knocking on the church door as he's talking to the churches in Laodicea and otherwise. And he's saying, I am, some reason, somehow I'm out of the church, but if you open the door to the church, I will come in and dine with you and you with me. We are the temple, and the Spirit of God dwells here. The Holy Spirit is the answer to the drought. The Holy Spirit is the answer to a replenishment and a vitality that we desire and is absolutely necessary if we understand the salvific history, the point that we are in. If we want to begin to change the trajectory of those lines on that graph, it will be because of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit who is the living water. The Holy Spirit 
guarantees what humans cannot, and that is that He enables, He makes us able and capable to be and to make disciples. Acts 1.8, you will receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be my witnesses. As Eber was praying, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But you'll receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will be my witnesses. In the way the Holy Spirit manifests His presence and His power, especially in the church, is through spiritual gifts through spiritual gifts that he gives followers of Jesus expressly for building up the church and expanding the kingdom of God. In my notes, when I was preparing this, I got to this point and I just started singing that song, Pour Out Your Spirit. Pour out your spirit, Lord. Pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit on us. We worship and serve and love a Trinitarian God as we were singing this morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But on this page, in this section of Scripture, John is particularly emphasizing the person, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit. And I understand, many of us, if you've been grown up going to church, or you've been going to church for several years, most likely you've heard, you've been taught about the Holy Spirit at some point, the divinity of the Holy Spirit. But if you look at that graph and understand what Stats Canada is saying from 1985 to 2019, the question is, how effective has our understanding and how effective has the manifestation of the Holy Spirit been in our presence and in our churches? When we speak about the Holy Spirit, there can be some fear that we have. We can be afraid that, well, things will get kind of weird. Maybe you're going to kind of get all like, you know, start rolling in the aisles or something or start running around or, and, and, and start, you know, getting out of hand. When I was in seminary many years ago as a worship and liturgy course that I took and they required us to go to churches outside of our tradition. So I went to a church in Toronto uh, that was uh, uh, um, sort of like the charismatic end of the charismatic movement. And I tell you, yes, that was way outside my experience and comfort level. And I would also say that besides all this business that was going on there, I did also notice that they'd never used this. So we can have a concern when we talk about the Holy Spirit, a fear that it'll be weird or it'll be spooky. He's a living water. We can refer and be concerned because of our experience. Some of us will say, well, I haven't been, you know, I, I haven't had a profound experience. Or maybe I have had a profound experience. Or maybe I've had a negative experience. Or maybe I've had a, a positive experience. But most of us, there will, has been a time when we've been in a certain situation and it's almost like um, 
we've noticed a conversation and we didn't even know that we knew these words and we were saying these words that there was something so profound and so poignant in that one moment and you knew that it was a special moment. That's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is as real as Jesus. There is a mode of being that in, involves matter as we know it, science, folks. And there's also a mode of being that is a spiritual mode of being, and it is every bit as real. And the Holy Spirit is in that spiritual realm, but it is every bit as real as the materiality that we human beings dither with on a daily basis. And to be flowing and to be replenished and nourished by the Holy Spirit is not some kind of special, uh, extraordinary part of Christianity. It's not like uh, a, a form of elitism or special. It's actually, as one scholar put it, part and parcel of God's plan for His people. And so as a church, we are urged... We are challenged to take in the word drink. When Jesus, in Greek, the, 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 the form of the, the tenses and, and voice and mood is imperative. You actually, John says, he stands there and shouts. He says, take in the Holy Spirit. Take in the, do you want real water for your soul and for your spirits and for the church? Take this in. Receive and enjoy and friends, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit, and we need spiritual gifts. And here is the good part, the, the fortunate part, that the Holy Spirit has been given, and so too have the spiritual gifts. And with that, I want to pause here. Pause in the silence. It's been me talking. And I want to just invite us into a, a brief Q&R. A chance for you to interact. To ask a question. Get a point of clarification. If you're on live stream, text or email to ask at westviewchurch.ca or you could stand up where you are here. If I see you on your iPad or iPod or iPhone or iyayay, you go ahead and, and do that. Not Android, just Apple, sorry. Okay. <laughs> As a church, Westview, is there anything we can do in addition to praying to help reverse the trends of these stats that you've shared mm. with us this morning? Mm. As a church, as individuals, is there anything that we can do to reverse the trends that we have seen yep. here this morning? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's good. We, we will not be able to reverse a trend. What we can do is decide and, and, and ask and be involved in where those lines go from here. This is where we are. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about a, a, a remnant. 
in many ways, we are trying to locate ourselves within God's salvific history and where we are as a very poignant moment on earth for followers of Jesus Christ. And the remnant is those that are following Jesus, attending church, and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have this opportunity. And what Jesus is saying clearly in the book of John is it will require us to engage with and open ourselves up to the work of the Holy Spirit. What does that look like, to be open and porous to the work of the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? John 14, John 16, educate ourselves and, and, and uh, uh, call out fear that we might have in, in thinking and being involved with the Holy Spirit. And this is what we're going to explore in the coming weeks precisely as we begin to really lean in here. I wonder for those that live a fairly cerebral existence, if this feels almost threatening? It's a question. Maybe that's rhetorical. Maybe that lends well into this last question I have here. It says, it seems like for many years the church, denomination, traditions have taught much on God the Father, Jesus the Son of God, but have shied away from the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Why do you think this is so, especially if we are each filled mm -hmm. with the Holy Spirit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we talk, and we, 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 it's another good question, we, we engage with uh, the doctrine of God the Father and, and Jesus Christ the Son, yes, but we shy away from aspects of uh, Holy Spirit, and I would say that part of that is, is really a good question, and again, part of it is traditions, so there was a, the charismatic or the Pentecostal movement was a very strong, and it actually today remains a fairly strong uh, a movement along mainstream uh, Protestant churches, the Pentecostal uh, assemblies. But we tend to, and, and you know, uh, borrowing here from uh, another scholar who, who identifies these primary areas, one of them is fear. Fear that things will get weird, or that things will get uh, off the rails, or things will get too uh, detached from Scripture or from reality. Another is one of experience. People say, well, I haven't had, uh, uh, you know, this anointing. I haven't had, I don't feel like I have this experience of receiving the Holy Spirit. I don't know much about it. So this experience, and the other one is education. We just haven't spent a lot of time there, and so people are not really informed about what scriptures are saying about the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus is doing is he's attaching Scripture when he's in John 7 here. He says, as Scriptures say, he's connecting Isaiah and Ezekiel. Hmm. That's, That's good. good. Thanks, Thanks Tyler. Yeah. So, what can we do? Romans 12, 1 and 2, I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves to God as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual form of worship, to engage with the Holy Spirit, present ourselves, present ourselves. Uh, Heavenly Father, we present ourselves. And Holy Spirit, we present ourselves. And we want to be open to you, living water. Present ourselves. Understand in the morning when you get up and you swing your feet and they land on the ground, I present myself to you, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, living water. And then ask, if, if, if you haven't asked the Lord Jesus to be Lord of your life for the first time, then ask Him now. And you can also ask for a freshness. Holy Spirit, 
Lord, I ask you to be Lord of my life. And I ask you, if you are Lord of my life, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to anoint my life afresh, to to replenish my inner being, because I want to have a vibrant relationship with you, Creator, and I'm feeling thirsty right now. I'm just not feeling that sense, Lord. Replenish my inner being. And Heavenly Father, I ask you, as Luke 11, he says, ask, seek, and knock, Jesus says. I ask you, as a church, we ask you to flow among us living water and replenish our church so that it flows from here. That when Ezekiel said, I see water gushing from here, I see Westview being filled with the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit gushing out the doors and into the community that they sense a vitality that is happening when the people of God gather called Westview. And then have faith. Galatians 3, we have received by faith. Let us live by that same faith that the Holy Spirit is in you. You have received the Lord Jesus Christ. You have received the Holy Spirit. Understand that by faith and live by that faith. And you know, uh, one one late scholar said, cultivate the art of recognizing the Holy Spirit wherever you go. Cultivate the art of recognizing the Holy Spirit wherever you go. He's present in the coffee shop. He's present in the grocery store. He's present with those colleagues at work. Whether they believe and follow Jesus Christ or not, He's there. Oh, what about spiritual gifts? Because that is the series that this Sunday launches. Series called Superpowers. I'll explain more later. How do we mobilize the spiritual gifts in Westview? What are those spiritual gifts? And I want to invite the music team to come up. If they would come up. Superpowers, the unwrapping our spiritual gifts. How will we mobilize the spiritual gifts within Westview? What are spiritual gifts? Who has which spiritual gifts? Jesus is making clear that the Holy Spirit is the living water that can replenish and revive individual souls and families and the church. So let's explore and open ourselves up to this living water.
your presence as we sung the honey and the rock. You are our rock, Lord, and the sweetness that you provide through your Holy Spirit. Help us to be in tune to that Holy Spirit wherever we go. Help us to listen. Help us to hear and discern your voice leading us and guiding us because you are with us. You are the honey in that rock, Lord Jesus. We praise you. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. It's great to see you here. If you have children, please go up and pick them, pick them up upstairs. And uh, we have offering boxes at the back uh, available at the exit doors. Um, we would love if there are a few individuals who could help stack some of the chairs and put them away. Um, thank you for serving us in that way. And the elders are available here at your right in the praying room if you would like to seek the Lord and ask him for prayer and discernment with other followers.